And here in Galatians, he's referring to the leaven of apostasy. They were turning away from the freedom that's in Christ Jesus. And so whether it's the leaven of hypocrisy or the doctrine of religion or apathy over sin or apostasy of faith, Jesus has come without sin. And he's paid the price to purge us out of the old leaven, the old sin. Get that out of us, that we can become a new lump, unleavened and forgiven of our sins. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15 this morning. And uh, it was easy to title this, I've always like this portion of scripture, and it begins with the word stand fast. And so today we're going to be learning two things. We're going to be looking at the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. This is one of the major themes of the book of Galatians, and that is the liberty, the freedom that we have in Christ. And then also we will be uh, looking at the freedom that frees us to serve one another and the service that we have as believers. In verse 5, he says, For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. We, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. In verse 7, he says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. You ran well. Now, I'm not a runner. I'd never been. I, you know, just, I'm slow. So, there was no reason. My legs are short. In gym in high school, most people would beat me. And uh, it's only gotten worse. I think I waddle now instead of run. But I like to watch runners. And the technology today that goes behind running, you know, they're concerned about the shoes that the runners wear. And in the Olympics, we could say, you know, it's got to be a shoe that's lightweight, but also that protects the runner's foot. But it needs to have good traction that they'll be able to be, whether they're on grass or on gravel or on asphalt, whatever they're running on, that that shoe's going to work properly for them. You ran well. And so in a sense, even the shoes that the runners wear today, they wear to keep them from being hindered when they run. 
And it's not just the shoes. They look into the clothing. They want to make sure that it's clothing that doesn't create a drag. And, and I was thinking more so of the swimmers so often in swimming when Phelps won all those eight medals that they were giving a lot of the credit to the suit that he was wearing that would shed the water, that wouldn't hold oxygen even in it, that would shed the water for it, that would give him that edge, that speed. And we know that we all watched that one, I think it was the butterfly stroke, where he took one extra stroke and the other guy thought he had already won. And it was that one extra stroke that brought him a fingertip victory. But everything, even with swimmers, the guys will shave the hair off their body to keep the drag to keep from being hindered. He says, you ran well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? In the Old Testament, I've been going through First and Second Kings with some of the devotional writers uh, the past couple of months. And in the Old Testament, we've seen a lot of kings that start their race pretty well, but they don't finish well. Or we've seen other kings who don't start good, but they finish well. Hezekiah has a great tribute written concerning his life. At the beginning of his story in 2 Kings 18.6, it says, For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. He held fast from the beginning of his life to the end of it. He was a king who held fast. And that's a high tribute. You ran well, but who hindered you? Paul asked, who hindered you from obeying the truth? In reality, we all run this race in life one way or the other. We either begin very poorly, but we finish well, or we start good, but we don't finish the race well. I want us to be those who do well, and those of us who will hear our Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to run unhindered. And that means a stripping away of some of the stuff in our life that does hinder us. And maybe the Lord is calling you to strip away some of those things that is creating a drag in your run. And you can't run with the speed that you need to run any longer because you have things that's dragging you back, that's holding you back, that's keeping you to run in the freedom which Christ has given you. In verse 9, he says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Now, many of you know I like to make pizza. I've been writing about it and talking about it in the last couple of days here, and I'm thinking tonight might be one of those nights. (laughs) But my whole pizza goes either positive or negative based on how my crust rises. And Lily knows this because there'll be times where you know, she'll, she always, it's good, it's fine, it's fine. But I'm not satisfied because I have problems with the dough, problems with the leavening. And she'll somewhat say, that's why I do this, that's why I do this. And, uh, you know, I've been making pizza for 20-something years. I, I somewhat have it down, but I do things that Lily wouldn't do when she's making bread or other things that need leaven to make things rise. And yet, when it turns out well, I have a great base to build the ingredients upon. And in Christ, we have a great base to build our life upon. He has done all things well. And he is 
without sin. See, in the Bible, leaven has always been representative of sin. And that's why Paul threw it in here. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. And we know in, in making pizza dough or bread dough or whatever, you know, you, you only take that little teaspoon of leaven versus three to five cups of flour. And it'll turn that little lump of dough into, it'll double it. It'll triple it sometimes. And yet, that's how sin can work in our lives. The Bible is, in comparing leaven and sin in our lives, and talking about hypocrisy in Luke 12, 1, Jesus said, it says to an innumerable multitude of people, he said this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Concerning doctrine, or the leaven of doctrine in Matthew 16, 6, Jesus said to his disciples, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Jesus was warning to the multitude, to his disciples, concerning the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was talking about uh, their hypocrisy, their outward piety, their practice of religion, but there was no true inward work of God or change in their lives. And this type of leaven often leads to unbelief and hardness of heart to where you're unable to, to know the love of Jesus Christ and the freedom that can come through Jesus Christ. He also added worldliness in Mark 8.15, Mark's account of what we just read from Matthew, he adds to the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. There's two things. This thought of the leaven of Herod was the Jews of that day, with Herod sitting on the throne as their king, they were satisfied. Now, Herod was an Edomite. He wasn't Jewish. The Romans had placed Herod the Great on the throne, his sons ruling after him. But they were satisfied with the status quo, saying that we don't need the messianic line through the line of David. We don't need the Messiah, the leaven of Herod, the, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees. But also with Herod, he was very worldly. Um, Jesus called Herod Agrippa a, a sly fox. And just history records him as a very lustful, worldly person. And we know that he paid the price of John the Baptist's head because of a dance from his wife's daughter. But there's the leaven of apathy also. In the church of Corinth, they had become puffed up. They allowed sexual immorality to exist within their body. They knew about it, and they did nothing about it. It was a guy sleeping with his father's wife. So a son sleeping with his, I'm assuming, his stepmom or something. I'm getting some, ooh, yuck. Well, that's what was going on in the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Paul says, Your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since truly you are unleavened. For if indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. 
And here in Galatians, he's referring to the leaven of apostasy. They were turning away from the freedom that's in Christ Jesus. And so whether it's the leaven of hypocrisy or the doctrine of religion or apathy over sin or apostasy of faith, Jesus has come without sin to set us free. He died a perfect sacrifice upon the cross, and he's paid the price to purge us out of the old leaven, the old sin. Get that out of us, that we can become a new lump, unleavened and forgiven of our sins. Paul said in verse 10, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So Paul's confidence in the churches of Galatia, that they would get it right. But he's also saying to the Judaizers that followed in after him, they're going to bear their own judgment. And that's true for all of us. We're all going to stand before the judgment throne of Christ. How are we going to stand? Paul has this confidence in the church of Galatia. And I, I pray that I have the same confidence for you guys, that we will stand well, that we will persist, that we will stand firm. In verse 11, he continues and says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So Paul, it appears that the Judaizers were saying, well, this is what Paul is teaching. And Paul says, if I was still teaching this circumcision for salvation, why do I get persecuted? And then he refers to the offense of the cross. Isn't it interesting how the cross just brings anger to people, even to this day? The cross is offensive to people. They don't want to see it. They don't want to have it displayed on the side of a road. I even heard, um, and, and maybe this has been ongoing, but I heard, I think, this week or last week that all of our national cemeteries for the military and all the crosses that the atheists are saying, you know, we need to get rid of the crosses and put some kind of other headstone on there. They don't want to walk up and see a cross. So I googled atheists and the cross. Atheists think very highly of themselves. This is something that I found that they wrote about themselves. Atheists and agnostics are among the most educated citizens of the United States. They rank highest not only in knowledge about science, American history, literature, politics, and the role of religion in public life, but also in awareness about world religions. Thinking, my, you think pretty highly of yourselves. In San Diego at Mount Soledad, uh, there's been a cross that they've been battling over for almost 17 years. Atheists trying to get the cross down and uh, the church fighting to keep it up. So on an atheist website... An atheist named Monica wrote this. Would supporters of appealing this be willing to spend as much money improving the lives of the poor? No. Funding for all children to have preschool? No. Health care for all? No. Decent wages to live on? No. College education for all who wish to get it? Absolutely not. College isn't a right, it's a privilege. We aren't worth it in the eyes of the public. Yet the rallying cry around the an inanimate object is loud. You people make me sick. Once again, it shows how skewed Christian priorities are. The cross. 
And, and you can just go on the website and, and just find what people are saying about the cross itself. But let me tell you this. It's not the cross that offends. It's the word of the man who died on that cross for our sins. The one who said in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to heaven except by me. That is the offense of the cross. It's because Jesus Christ has said, I am the only way. And all the other religions in the world will not get you to heaven, but only Christ. And that is the true offense of the cross. Paul said concerning the Judaizers in verse 12, I could wish that those who troubled you would cut themselves off. And so concerning the Judaizers, he's saying castrate them. They're talking about circumcision. Castrate themselves. Just take it all off. Now, I was looking up the word castrate, and this is interesting because in the definition it means the inability to reproduce. And I wonder if Paul had that in mind. Let them castrate themselves because then they won't be reproducing this religion upon you guys. They won't be burdening you with these things. You'll be free from the bondage that they're imposing upon you. Then let them castrate themselves. They won't be able to pervert the gospel any longer because they won't be able to reproduce anymore. Verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we have freedom in Christ Jesus, but the freedom is not to do anything that we want to. If we murder someone, we're going to face the penalty of that crime and the judgment of that crime. So it's not a freedom to do anything, but not for the liberty of the flesh, but a freedom to, in love to serve one another. He likes using this word freedom and liberty here in these chapters in verse 31 of chapter 4. He says we're children of the free. And in verse 1, that we're to stand fast in that liberty by which Christ has set you free. In verse 13, that we're not to be entangled any longer, but we have been called to liberty. And this liberty is not an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another. And the Christian liberty is not a license to sin, but it is a license to live. To be the man, to be the woman that Christ has desired for you to be. He's given you a great freedom to show your love to others. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.16, Yet free, not as using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants to God. And so that freedom that we should serve the Lord, we should serve others in love. In verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Now I was raised in the church my whole life, and I've seen churches bite and devour one another. And I've seen churches come to non-existence because of their inward fighting. And we're known for this, and it's a horrible thing to be known for. People just nitpicking and fighting and biting and devouring one another and talking behind people's backs. And it injures the uh, testimony of Jesus Christ. It hurts. We've been called to liberty. 
And the law, well, it's fulfilled in loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, that goes all the way back to the Old Testament, to Leviticus. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So he's talking about your brothers and sisters, to the Jews there. Hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't take vengeance. Don't get even. Love them. I'm the Lord. Listen to me. But also in that same chapter, in verse 34, Leviticus 19:34, the stranger who dwells among you shall be as one who is born among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And it's a call even to the church today saying, look, we need to remember where we came from. And we need to remember our past, that we were in bondage to sin, and the Lord of Jesus has set us free. And so when new people come into the midst, into the fellowship, we're to treat them and we're to love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of the scribes came to Jesus and asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus responded in Mark 12, 29. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. To love our neighbor as ourselves. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from sincere faith. How are we doing? I probably don't do well all the time. And I can bet that you probably don't either. And yet the Lord is calling us to live such lives. You know, it's my hope as a church that we would know nothing of biting and devouring one another. That that, if it's been in the past, let it stay in the past. Let it be done. If things need to be dealt with, deal with them. The Lord has called us to do that. But let us learn rather how to serve each other and to serve others in love that comes from this pure heart, one that's been purified through sincere faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, it's our prayer, my prayer also, that we would run lives unhindered, that we would be able to run the course of this life and finish well. You know, I, I, I want to hear my Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to finish well. I don't want people talking about Pastor John. You know what happened to Pastor John. Well, maybe we shouldn't even call him a pastor anymore. You know, and there's been those, I know guys. I know guys who aren't in ministry anymore because they hadn't finished well because they didn't run the course well. They got distracted. They got hindered. And I want us to be people who run unhindered lives. Finally, may we not be entangled in the bondage of sin or of religion, but the Lord Jesus, he has freed us. And so may we learn to stand in that liberty, to stand firm, to persist, that we can be the man, that we can be the woman, the men, the women that Christ has called us to be. It's our prayer, my prayer today for this congregation. We want to take some time, and we're just 
going to go into an extended period of worship now. We want to be able to pray for you. And if, if you need prayer today, we both will have anointing oil. Um, if you would like to be anointed for sickness, for the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life, um, just want to ask the Lord to forgive you, that you would be this person who would stand fast and you realize that you've been entangled, that you've been hindered, and you just want the Lord to unhinder you today. I want to give us that opportunity for the Lord to, to free us, that we can run our race well. And you know what? He wants to. He wants to do the work. Quite often, we're the ones who hinder. And so I just want to encourage you, let Christ have his way with your life. Father, thank you so much for this day. And I pray that you would be with us now as we go into this time of, of communion, a time of worship, of waiting upon you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just bless this time. May we not worry about what's going to happen after this. But Lord, may we just say, Lord, whatever you'd like to do during this hour right now, have your way in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Yeah.